Well, we're in week five of How Happiness Happens. I want you to turn to Philippians 4 for week five's sermon, Philippians chapter 4. It'll be on the screen a little bit uh, later in the message this morning. I want to put three numbers up on the screen for you to look at. You're going to have no clue what they mean until I tell you. Here are three numbers, uh, 40 million, 48 billion, and then a 1,200% increase. What are these numbers? These numbers, as we look at happiness uh, and anxiety today, here are these numbers. 40 million Americans... Uh, have admitted uh, to some form of anxiety disorder. Those are the people, 40 million, who admit to it. 48 billion is the number of dollars spent this past year treating these anxiety disorders. And the 1,200% increase is from the World Health Organization who purports that there's been a 1,200% increase in anxiety disorders over uh, the last 1,200 years. So with this in mind, I want us to look at um, a couple of scenes from the biblical days. This is the Sea of Galilee. Uh, I've been there a couple of times, and I think in the future we're going to take some foreign church trips to uh, Holy Land. Who who wants to sign up? Just raise your hand. Church is paying for it. It's on the church credit card. Uh, No, y'all don't give enough for us to do that. But um, here's the Sea of Galilee, and some famous things have happened um, here. I love Mark's account. He says that during this storm on the Sea of Galilee that there was, uh, that that Jesus was on the stern of the boat asleep on a cushion. And the disciples come to Jesus as you would, as I would, and they ask him this question, do you not care that we are about to drown? And Jesus says, he calms and rebukes. He rebukes the wind and the waves and says, peace be still. And these disciples are starting to get it and they're like, who is this man? That even the wind and the waves obey him. Like even in 2022, we can, we can predict the weather, but I don't know how much we can control the weather. But uh, Jesus uh, offered control there. He says, peace be still. A uh, second photo from biblical times. This is the upper room. This is not an actual photo. TMZ didn't sneak in and capture this. Uh, this is just a rendering of what it could have probably possibly looked like to some extent. And here's Christ with the disciples, and it's uh, late in the game, and Jesus is telling them about some problems that are about, they're about to encounter, like the, like the heavy kind of problems they're about to encounter. And uh, he says to them, uh, let not your hearts be troubled. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say you're uh, not going to enter trouble. But he says, let not your heart be troubled. I, I want to be clear on the front end. You'll never hear that from here. I hope it's never twisted to, to, that we're going to say that because in this world you will have trouble. But Jesus is saying, in the middle of it, don't let your heart be troubled. And the third photo is where we are today. It's Philippians chapter 4. It's this letter written in AD 61 or 62, 11 years after Paul and Luke and Barnabas uh, and those guys visited. And he's writing to where they established the first church there in that part of the world in what is today northern Greece in the ancient Mediterranean world. And he's writing from a prison, and he's in prison not because he was cooking crystal meth, but because he was preaching Jesus. And he writes to them, and he says these words from Philippians 4, and they're going to say some things. Listen, uh, you may be here, and you may say, man, I've tried this. It doesn't work. Can I just say today is for you? Just stay with me, and let's hear these wonderful words that Paul gives. Philippians 4, we'll read 4 through 8 and preach. I'm going to give you four things from this passage that are true. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Y'all know anybody that's super cheery? 
that walks around saying these kind of things that just irritate you when life isn't going well. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. If you have an open Bible, most English translations say, let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and God will give you whatever you want. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Here's what the Bible doesn't teach. Now, we could take Philippians 4, 6 in particular and um, try to, to make it... Um, Say something it doesn't say. Here's what the Bible does not say. The Bible doesn't say you won't have anything to worry about. What the scripture says is you don't have to carry all that you carry as often as you carry it. If you're one of the 40 million that's admitted or one of the blank whatever number that hasn't admitted, let me say to you today that it means if you're riddled with worry and anxiety, it means you're human. It means that it's a natural part of living. It means you're on a level playing field with everybody else around you. But I do want to say that there are, there's a level, a severity of anxiety and depression uh, that uh, you should seek help. You should have no hesitancy or no reluctance, no shame or stigma for seeking professional help. It is God who gives us medicine and doctors. So can I just say, go for it. Now, the causes of anxiety are manifold. Uh, there, there are physiological, there are emotional, there are circumstantial uh, causes for your depression. But at its root, at its core, it is a spiritual issue. And so today, I want to begin there. I want to give you four things, okay? This isn't a trite message. Like, don't, you know, don't worry, be happy. The power of positive thinking, this is not that message. We're not preaching that today because I don't think it's Paul's intention. Embedded in these verses that we read is something deeper. But listen, to, I'm going to say it again and maybe another time or two. God's not saying you don't have anything to worry about. In fact, in Luke 21, 14, I failed to mention this in the first service, but in Luke 21, 14, one of my favorite verses, Jesus is telling about, you know, they're walking in the midst of famine and pestilence and persecution, and some of them are going to be martyred for the faith, okay? I don't like, some of you are worried about what you're having for lunch. You're probably not going to be killed for, you know, for going to church today. But they, they were walking through this, and Jesus says in Luke 21, 14, Make up your minds beforehand not to worry. Make up your minds beforehand not to worry. He didn't say you don't have anything to worry about. He didn't say focus on positive things. He said make up your mind ahead of time not to worry. So the message of the Bible is, is not you don't have anything to worry about. It's this. You don't have to carry all that you're carrying as often as you carry. And so I want to give you four things that Paul gives us that will help you in this regard, where you won't have to always carry it. The first is to celebrate what's true about God. You're given the biblical reference there from this text. Celebrate what's true about God. He says rejoice not in uh, worries. He doesn't say rejoice in your worries because these are bad things. The heavy thing that you brought in here today is probably not a good thing. The uncertainty that you feel, the worries and the what ifs. By the way, a lot of your worries start with what if, don't they? What if? What if, if you were to write them down today and bring them to the altar at the end of the service, I bet a lot of them would start with, what if this happens? And he's writing and he's saying, there's a lot of wrong in the world, but start with what is right about God. 
And I have found a calm and peace in my life. And you may say today, hey, preacher, I don't need a statistic about 40 million people or $48 billion been spent on diagnosis and treatments or a 1,200% increase over the last three. I don't need a statistic. It is part of my story. And I know what many of you know, that if you experience anxiety, there's different levels of severity and degree. But for you, it could be tightening of your chest. Uh, it could be uh, difficulty breathing. It, it could be uh, seasons of sleeplessness, which I can confess to in my own life. But I have found a peace and an inner calm. I still have plenty uh, to worry about, but I don't have to carry all that I carry for as often as I carry it. And I find the nearness of God. I find this calm between uh, God's control, God's goodness rather, and his control. If you're a note taker, write those two words uh, down. I don't have them on the screen, but God's goodness and God's, God's control. And his goodness, we see it here in Philippians. For he says, rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to say it again, rejoice in the Lord. He doesn't say rejoice in your worry, but rejoice in the Lord. The Lord is near. God is good and God is in control. Think of it this way. Um, Young people, do you remember when you first learned to swim? You probably had a parent uh, in a swimming pool and they were coaching, conjoling, pressuring you. Uh, giving you an ultimatum, threatening your life, you know, to jump into the pool. Uh, If you're a parent with a young kid, maybe you're doing that now. Some of you, uh, this is how you raise your kids. This is how you taught them to swim. You just threw them in the water. And uh, you're the reason that they have anxiety today. You're the reason they're actually going to therapy. You just threw them in there, right? But for most of us, it's it's a parent, usually a dad, is in the water. He's got his arms outstretched and he's like, jump, jump. And that kid is what? On water's edge. I'm playing the stereotype here. But uh, what's the kid doing? The kid's on water's edge, doesn't know how to swim. So why would the kid jump in? And the kid is just, it's staggeringly um, dangerous and painful to think about what this child is experiencing. And the the dad, the parent is like, jump in, jump in. And why is the kid going to jump in? Why is the kid reluctant to jump in? Because it means death for them. I'm going to die if I jump in. That's, That's what they're thinking. But oh, the parent loves that child. And, and the message invariably is that the parent is getting is, um, I don't believe you. That parent is going, you jump here, I'm going to catch you, I'm going to help you. And they're going to do that. Any good parent would, of course. But they're ultimately saying that I don't believe in you because of the fear that is so paramount, the fear that's so great in front of me. There's this thing called control. And I have found, and psychologists confirm this, that anxiety increases when perceived control decreases. One more time, anxiety increases when perceived control decreases. So the answer to less anxiety seems to me, if that's true, try to control everything. But if you tried to control everything, and by the way, I don't think anybody should try to control everything because control freaks are the most anxious people in all the world. But if you want to try to control things, then don't fly, as I'm going to later today. Don't get on a plane because it could crash. Don't love because you could get hurt. If you're a parent, put monitors, cameras on your kids to monitor their every movement, every moment for the rest of their lives. If the answer to less anxiety is control. But notice what I said. Anxiety increases as perceived control decreases. We're just not in control of as many things as we think we are. And so it's a fool's errand, a a game of folly, an exercise in futility for us to just to be control freaks, to calm calm our inner spirit by controlling things. Paul's saying the Lord is near. The Bible gives us a much better option here. It's found in Isaiah 26.3. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. This is a prayer back to God. 
you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. The second point from this passage, and by the way, I'm spelling the word calm, C-A-L-M. The first point is to celebrate what's true about God. And the second point Paul gives us is to ask him for help. And this is where you would know this if you were up here. This is where it's going to be a tough job to preach this point. Because so many of us today have tried prayer. I, I tried it. I, I tried to do this. But I think there's something deeply embedded in these verses that's a little different. And maybe you really haven't tried it this way. And by the way, can I ask you, as I did the, the 930 service, what's the first resort where do you go first when anxiety rises when depression takes root when fear abounds in your heart and mind what's your where do you go do you go because history and our own hearts will teach us that we go to things like drugs and alcohol or sex or pornography or shopping or the pantry or entertainment diversions, things to numb or medicate us. We go to these things, and I just want to say to you today, go into God is better. I want to give you a personal testimony that God is near. I have found me being able to celebrate, to rejoice in the Lord because he is near, not because I get everything I want, not because there aren't real problems in my world, but because he is near, and the path to peace is paved in prayer. So notice Paul gives us three words, and it's not my job to pick a fight with these three words because they're kind of similar they're synonyms if you will but I think there's um, a little bit of differentiation that I want to talk about prayer is when I don't have it written down but prayer is when you say God can help it's that moment when you say whether it's first resort or last resort you say I'm going to go to God uh, drugs alcohol sex pornography the pantry shopping entertainment diversions things to numb and medicate I'm not going to go there anymore I'm not going to go there now this is a problem so big I'm going to take it to God or so vexing and small and emotional I'm going to go to God with it. so prayer is simply saying God can help but petition so think of these as concentric circles so prayers are the outer ring and then the next ring is petition and then the bullseye is is request and prayer is, God, you can help, but petition is, God, I need your help. But request is, God, here is where I really need your help. Think of it this way, because I know there's this blockade in front of you that says, well, God already knows what we need, so why, I don't, like, why is he saying this? Because philosophically, this is, you, know, you, can't, you can't debate this in a college classroom with uh, any agnostics or strident skeptics in, in the world. But stay with me for just a second. Think of it this way, if, um, think of a little child, uh, not learning to swim this time, but a little child that's been hurt, that's upset, it could be emotional, it could be physical, but they come to you, they're running to you, and they're all sweet, and they're crying, they're very emotional, they're so emotional uh, that they can't speak, let's say she, she's so emotional she can't even speak, she's running to you, she's hurt, she runs up to, to you, the parent, and she's like, <laughs> and the parent typically goes, okay, okay, sweetie, calm down, calm down, uh, use words, Use words, tell me, use words to tell me, calm down and, and use words. Why does that parent want the child to use words? Because they want to know uh, the specific thing. Stay with me because I understand the, the blockade here. Let's say that you're married and uh, your spouse is giving you some bad vibes. Uh, there's a, through, you know, body language and attitude and all. Uh, maybe it happened on the way to church. Ouch, that's too, too soon. Uh, but they're giving you some body language, and you ask them, you say, what's wrong? And they say, 
nothing. And by the way, quick marriage tip here. If she says nothing, nothing is never nothing. Nothing is always something. And you're usually the something. So just, just helping you there. Now that we already did our relationship series, so we're moving on in our happiness series. But what, what do you need to know? What do you, you want to know the specific thing. Now, men, don't look at her and go, use words. Use words. Don't do that. Okay, that's what you do for parenting. But you, you, you want to find out where it hurts. And yes, God knows everything that we need. So here's how I'll unpack it as I studied this week. Maybe getting specific, that is with request, being specific with God isn't for his benefit, but for ours. Because he does know everything. You see, when Jesus, he would ask people questions. I'm going to show you one in a minute from Mark 10, 51. But Jesus, when every time he asked a lot of questions, um, and Always, 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 when he asked a question, he knew the answer. He wasn't doing it for him. He was doing it for them. An example would be a blind uh, beggar named Bartimaeus. Remember in biblical times when someone was blind, they were judged. If, if someone is blind in our midst, we would hopefully uh, be sensitive to them. We would make sure we have uh, ADA uh, things established in place. and would offer them assistance and really no judgment. But back then, they thought it was a sin thing. They thought this person or the person's parents... Um, sinned and so they were blind a judgment uh, from a from an angry God and Jesus is seeing this man and he's crying out on the road to Jericho he said Jesus oh no he's actually saying help 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 me help me help me and Jesus Mark gives us this account says what do you want me to do for you Jesus asked him can we just stop and have a what's the deal Jesus moment here I mean what's really dude I mean really what's the deal what do you want me to do for you? The disciples were the hard-headed ones, but they had to be looking going, man, who is this man? The guy that could calm wind and waves and say, peace be still, and the storm is calmed is also going, what do you want me to do for you? But again, the question wasn't for Jesus. It was for him. The blind man said he went from prayer, calling out to anybody, to prayer, to petition, to a request, Rabbi, I want to see. Here's some benefits that we can experience. The more you pray specifically, the more God can ease your anxiety personally. Because you'll start getting to the root of it. When you begin to pray, God, I'm worried about money. God, I'm concerned that my marriage may not make it. God, I just lost a loved one and this is my loneliness. And this is and you begin to pray those specific requests as Paul instructs. Um, you'll find God getting to allowing you to get to the root issue of something that you think um, that you don't think about it's deeper than this secondly specific prayer for anxiety almost always involves other people in the answer when you get specific with prayer you begin to request to God stay after it by the way Jesus would tell parables like the one in Luke 18 about a, a widow who keeps going to this judge and asking and asking and asking. And the judge is like, no, 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 he's indifferent. He doesn't grant the request. And he, she keeps going back to him. And Jesus tells this story and there's nothing fancy about it. He says, I, I'm telling you this story, Luke 18, 1, so that you would just keep praying. So that you would just keep asking. And so today, if you say, hey, preacher, I've tried this. I want to ask you to keep trying and keep asking and just watch and see. And here's what I have found time and time again in my own life. When I offer my request to God in the midst of anxiety, I pray specifically. Then somebody gets involved in that. Somebody brings me peace. Somebody brings me an answer. God can, but often he uses other people. You know, Philippians is not the only letter Paul wrote from prison. He wrote to Timothy. And here's what he said. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me 
in my ministry. What we see is God using other people as we minister and as we pray. The, second, the third thing is we're spelling out calm from Philippians 4, verses 4 to 8. Uh, we're saying that God is not saying you don't have anything to worry about, but he is saying to you that you don't have to carry all that you carry for as often as you carry it. If you'll celebrate what's good and true about God, if you'll ask specifically for what you need, and if you'll list what you're grateful for. In the first week of How Happiness Happens, we gave you four ways to miss happy. And one of the ways is waiting around for happiness to occur. And I love what this Benedict uh, monk said. Happiness does not make you grateful. It is gratefulness that makes you happy. Oh, I'm going I'm to get on my knees and offer God prayer. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to give a tithe or an offering. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to express this gratitude. I'm going to say a blessing before a meal uh, when, uh, when I'm happy. And look at the profound wisdom of this. There is um, a Greek word here in Philippians 4 for thankfulness. Remember Philippians 4, 6? We just read it once, but uh, offer your prayers to God with thanksgiving. Be specific, your prayers, your petitions, and your request. Offer them to God with thanksgiving. So I'm asking you today to make a list, to list what you're grateful for. The Greek word for thankfulness is this. I'm not going to say it out loud because I'm going to ask you a question. So look at the Greek word if you're listening later this week or today you're at a disadvantage. But look at this word and here's my question. Do you recognize an English word in this word? And if you do, say it out loud. Yes, the word Eucharist. You see this word, which is what we do once a month here at Fondren Church. On the last Sunday of each month, we take the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist. You see, there's another word, a Greek word in this one. It's charis or grace. And there's yet even another word in this. It's car or kari or joy. And so as I studied it this week, I can present it to you like this. Look at this. Embedded in this, it's so beautiful. Grace is what you receive from God the Father. This is our Eucharist. This is our communion. This is what we think of when we take the Lord's Supper. Grace is what you receive from God the Father. Joy is what you experience in the Holy Spirit. See Romans chapter 5. Gratitude is what Jesus um, has done for you. He's done something for you, so you give it back to him. It's our Eucharist. It's us saying, thank you, God, for what you've done. This is the, this is the, the Greek language here of Philippians 4. This is not in the Bible, but it should be. Have you heard this? As you go through life, make this your goal. Look at the donut and not the donut hole. Coach K won five national championships with Duke basketball before he retired. And he had the, his last national championship. He had all of his players carry a basketball with them all throughout the tournament. And on this basketball, he had them prior to this, he had them write the names of those people who helped them get where they are today. So that, you know, obviously be a mama dropped them off at practice when they were young or a dad who uh, helped them in their basketball skills, a coach, a, a key player, an assistant coach, a, a grad assistant, a trainer, you know, uncle, a pastor, who, whoever has helped them get where they are today to write. Uh, notice how I just threw pastor in there. I have no proof of that. Uh, just write down the name of uh, October is Pastor Appreciation Month, but write down the name of, 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 people that helped you get with and carry that basketball with you carry it with you so they these players took it on the bus they took it to the hotel and the team hotel uh, some of them slept with the basketball and here was the idea you're not just playing for yourself there's a wider circle of people in your life and so when you list what you're grateful for 
it's the Eucharist. It's what Jesus has done, but he's used other people to get, where you, to get you where you are today. And I'm looking around at so many young people here today. He's got other people in your future that's going to get you to that place that you'll be. Be grateful for them and list them out. I want you to take a look. And this is a video. It's a few minutes long, and so it would be easy to, to uh, stir a little bit. But I want you to hone in uh, on this video. Just take a look at this and listen. It starts off with a little girl. And then, uh, and then it's narrated by a 90-year-old man. But just, uh, have a, just take a moment. Just breathe and just watch this and let, uh, let God use it in your life. When I watch TV, it's just some shows that you just, that are pretend. And... And when you explore, you get more imagination than you already had. And um, when you get more imagination, it makes you want to go deeper in so you can get more and see beautiful things. Like it could, the path, if it's a path, it could, leave you, it could lead you to a beach or something, and it could be beautiful. you think this is just another day in your life? It's not just another day. It's the one day that is given to you today. It's given to you. It's a gift. It's the only gift that you have right now. And the only appropriate response is gratefulness. If you do nothing else but to cultivate that response to the great gift that this unique day is, if you learn to respond as if it were the first day in your life, and the very last day, then you will have spent this day very well. Begin by opening your eyes and be surprised that you have eyes you can open. That incredible array of colors that is constantly offered to us for pure enjoyment. Look at the sky. We so rarely look at the sky. We so rarely note how different it is from moment to moment with clouds coming and going. We just think of the weather. And even of the weather, we don't think of all the many nuances of weather. We just think of good weather and bad weather. This day, right now, is unique weather maybe a kind that will never exactly in that form come again.
formation of clouds in the sky will never be the same that is right now. Open your eyes, look at that. Look at the faces of people whom you meet. Each one has an incredible story behind their face. A story that you could never fully fathom. Not only their own story, but the story of their ancestors. We all go back so far. And in this present moment, on this day, all the people you meet, all that life from generations and from so many places all over the world, flows together and meets you here like a life-giving water if you only open your heart and drink. Open your heart to the incredible gifts that civilization gives to us. You flip a switch and there is electric light. You turn a faucet and there is warm water and cold water and drinkable water. It's a gift that millions and millions in the world will never experience. So these are just a few of an enormous number of gifts to which we can open your heart. And so I wish you that you will open your heart to all these blessings and let them flow through you. That everyone whom you will meet on this day will be blessed by you. Just by your eyes, by your smile, by your touch, just by your presence. Let the gratefulness overflow into blessing all around you. And then it will really be a good day. Celebrate what's true about God. Ask Him for help. List what you're grateful for. And finally, meditate. The first service I misspelled the word, I had mediate, and it was a lawyer who corrected me. Thank God for our lawyers. Meditate. What comes to mind when you hear the word meditate? Maybe Eastern mysticism, maybe something from a different part of the world, maybe something weird. Uh, related to people that are, um, you know, fruits and nuts or from California or um, granola fitness type of people or whatever. But the word meditate has been hijacked uh, for many of us and we think of something weird. But not in Scripture. It's not weird at all. Paul that would say, remember in 4.8, I think on the things that are good and lovely and virtuous, the things with moral excellence, the things that are, that are praiseworthy. Think on these things. And here's what we know to be true, but we disregard it almost all the time, almost every day um, to our own peril. You are a reflection of your thoughts, but we feed our minds junk food all the time. And think about a NASCAR driver or a Top Gun pilot. Um, 
Think about a world-class Olympic athlete. They fuel up their body, not with the cheap stuff, not with the junk stuff. Choosy moms choose gift, right? Because it's a way, you know, there's a, this idea that p- put the good stuff in. But you, your reflection, your life is a reflection of the way that you think. But we feed our minds so much junk. And so Paul would say in a different uh, context to, to the Romans, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for your life, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And the psalmist in the first chapter would say this, blessed is the one happy. We're talking about how happiness happens. Happy is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners or sit in this company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and, who's, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither and whatever they do prospers. That meant this passage means so much more to people in ancient Palestine who lived in a dry, arid desert land. But listen, the job of the tree is not to produce fruit. The job of the tree is to be planted by the waters and to let God let God bathe our thought life with his goodness. As the team begins to come up and we began to close. We're going to open up the altar for us to pray before we go. Eugene Peterson said, Christians don't simply learn or study or use scripture. We assimilate it. it, takes, it, it we take it into our lives in such a way that it gets metabolized into acts of love. Stand with me. And I want to, um, I want to close by giving you the um, RGV of Philippians 4, 4 through 8 blame God I will say it again just blame God let your anxiousness be evident to all the Lord is nowhere to be found stress out about everything big stuff little stuff things you can't control things you wish you could things that might come true and things that could never possibly happen in every situation see it as an opportunity to gripe to other people about how bad you've got it and how everyone else is cruising through life allow your envy and self-preoccupation to blow the problem out of proportion above all never talk to God about it he doesn't give a rip And if you continue on this path, the anxiety that transcends all human understanding will give you ulcers, heart disease, headache, joint pain, and lousy relationships. So rejoice and be glad. Y'all know what the RGV, that's the Robert Greene version. And too often, uh, I'm guilty. And too often, you are as well. So there's a better way. We're not saying today that you don't have anything to worry about. We're saying today that you don't have to carry it all. You don't have to carry it all on your own as often as you do. So I want to give you the opportunity. We're about to leave. So we're going to sing this great song, Come to the Altar, and you're invited to come to the altar today. We're going to be down front. Uh, We pray that you'll pray today, that you'll take these moments, even though there's other things on your mind, that you'll come today. We'll get you out on time. Come today and be prayed for. Come kneel and express. um, It could be an anxiety. It could be something that you're grateful for. It could be a need in your life. It could be a specific request. Let's let God work in this place in this moment I believe there's something that could be really special about it God working in you so come today everyone sing everyone stay but come today if we can pray for you